They changed the, the face of it a little bit and they, and they painted into different corners. But those ideas, those concepts of what is Jesus in truth, they're still with us. They're still a part of, of our community here. They're still a part of, of our world. The people that don't see Jesus Christ as God of very God, the, the promised sacrifice spoken of in picture to Abraham in Genesis 22. They still don't see Jesus as more than sometimes just a good teacher, a, a, a great man in history. And if only uh, God would straighten out the followers of Jesus and get the church on track, we'd all be okay. And so we still are faced with that question today. What is truth? When Paul wrote the book of Colossians, that's what he was answering. All you need is Jesus Christ. All you need is Him. You don't need Jesus and anything else. For he tells us in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 that you are complete in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe this morning that you're complete in Him? That the answers that are out there floating around of all these programs or concepts that we need to wrap ourselves around, the reality is you just need to worry about being in Christ Jesus. When Paul teaches in his epistles, 13 books Paul wrote. Of those 13 books that he wrote, do you know 169 times he tells us to be found in Christ? I think that's one of Paul's major themes, that he wants us to be in Christ. Because listen, this is what he's telling us when he says, I want you to be in Christ Jesus. He's saying, in Christ, there's a transformation, isn't there? When we came to Christ, are we the same person we were before we came to Jesus? Because in Christ Jesus, there's a transformation that takes place. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds as we draw into Christ he does a work in us. Jackie that stands before you this morning is not the Jackie of 20 years ago. And in five years, he, he won't be the Jackie of five years ago. Because God is always doing that work when we're in Christ Jesus. Affixed to the truth. Holding on to the foundation. Being in Christ Jesus also speaks of a unity because we have unity together. Different fellowships, different churches. We can be unified in Christ Jesus. The foundation has to be there of who Jesus is. When that foundation is there, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. God of very God, man of very man. Sacrifice for our sins. We can have unity in Him because what? We are baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body. The church, one body. And when one part of the church is blessed, guess what? The whole body's blessed. When we come together, how many of you guys have ever bought a new car? Anybody? When you buy a new car and you come to church, you say, hey, guess what? I got a new car. Uh, hopefully you're going to hear somebody come alongside you and say, man, that's awesome. Hopefully you won't hear, well, it must be nice. But sometimes that can, that can be the attitude we have, can it? But listen, what God's word is laying out for us, the unity that we have in Christ means when one brother or sister is blessed, the whole body is. When bro one brother or sister is mourning, the whole body's hurt, right? When one brother or sister falls, when, when the body of Christ is hurt, who bleeds? The body of Christ. And we are the body of Christ. In Christ Jesus, we have unity. We're able to bind together. We're able to come together. And finally, in Christ, we have satiation, satisfaction. You know, the Rolling Stones saying, we can't get none, right? I can't get no satisfaction. Nothing makes me happy. Nothing satisfies. I got all I could ever want. 400,000 guitars. A jet that will fly me everywhere. I can live in the fanciest homes on the planet. But they sing, I can't get no satisfaction. Because satisfaction, satiation is found in Christ Jesus. It's in Him. It's all about that relationship with Him, being found in Christ, being in Him, standing as close to Jesus as we can get. Now, we can get all about a lot of other things. But the bottom line is, folks, in Christ Jesus, all these things take place. In Christ, you'll be transformed. In Christ, you'll be unified. In Christ, you'll be satisfied. And that's what Paul is laying out for us. The truth about God's Word. 
that Jesus Christ can meet every need, for you are complete in him. There was a movie came out a few years ago. It was this big thing going around, You Complete Me. Well, two people might try to say that between humans, but the reality is a person who completes us is Jesus Christ. He is the one that brings us together. So let's take a look at Colossians. Beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Here's one important thing that Paul understood. He understood who he was in Christ Jesus. I'm an apostle by the will of God. Paul knew that because God had called him. You remember on the Damascus Road, Paul's going to persecute the church. As he's on his way to persecute the church, Jesus knocked him off his horse and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, Saul, Paul, was persecuting the church. But that day, God knocked him off his horse and said, Look, when you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. It's me, the body of Christ. It's me, the body of of our Lord. And so Jesus said, Why do you persecute me? And, And Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And we see right there at that moment, Saul's life changed. Saul, which means exalted one, would ultimately change his name to Paul, which means small. And so he's changing from the one who who is glorifying maybe in himself or what he has in, in his past and where he is as a Pharisee, and he's changed that all out to become small Paul. And when all that took place, the Lord said, when he sent Ananias, you remember, when he sent Ananias to touch Saul's eyes, he told Ananias, Ananias said, are you sure, Lord? I don't know about going to see this guy. He's persecuting the church. And the Lord says, no, you go and open his his eyes, and I will show him all the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. Because God specifically had a call for Paul. Now, sometimes when we sit together as the church, we think that, well, of course, God had a a call for Paul's life, and he was called an apostle, but we think somehow we're immune. God doesn't have a call for me. God doesn't have a place for me. But listen, Paul teaches us that we all have a part to play in the body, don't we? And so what he's laying out for us, even in the beginning of Colossians, we want to be connected, tied bound together to Christ, holding on to him for all we're worth. And one of the ways that Paul did that is knowing that he knew that he knew who he was and what he was to do. And you can know that today. You can know who you are in Christ, what it is that God has called you to, because it's so freeing to know that you know I'm where I'm supposed to be. Kathy and I are are so excited to come and be a part of the fellowship. When when we got a phone call last Sunday night, I think it was last Sunday night, and and we were were asked, hey, we'd like to invite you to come and and be a part of Calvary Chapel Buell. I did a little jig in Pastor Gerald's office, was kicking my feet up. I went home on on Monday was when reality hit. So we went went home on, on Monday, and we have this list, like, 25 things that we got to take care of in like two days to make all this work together. We made that list at 8 o'clock in the morning. By 10 o'clock in the morning, half the list was done and we hadn't even finished our cup of coffee yet. Because God was moving. God was, I mean, we're getting phone calls and and we're blown away by how quickly the Lord went through that list. We came down this weekend to, to find a place, and, and the Lord has blessed that search, and uh, we'll, be, we'll be signing a, a lease Monday morning, so we'll have a place to come when, when we come back up next week. I'm going to go home. We're going to go back, finish packing on Tuesday. On the 9th of July, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb on my motorcycle, and I'm coming up. So I was hoping to have some place to lay my head. <laughs> But you see, the Lord, as you look at it, it doesn't always mean that what we're going to do is going to be easy. But when you know it, this is where I'm going, that's what I'm supposed to do, this is what God has. Then when you face the storm, it's let the winds blow, I'm going to keep rowing. I'm going to keep moving forward because I know 
This is what God has called me to do. That's why Paul experienced Zoe. That's why Paul experienced unstoppable, unquenchable life. Because he knew that he knew this is what I'm supposed to do. And in this morning, it's my prayer for us as a body that we would re- realize that there's that for each of us. Now, we're not all called to be a- apostles. In fact, none of us are. Paul was the last called apostle. But we all have a place within the body. We all have a gift that God has given us, that God has blessed us with this anointing. And God wants to say, hey, I have this perfect place for you at Calvary Chapel Buell. This is exactly where you fit. This is exactly how you're going to nourish the rest of the body. And that's how we are a healthy body when we all function together within the gifts that God gave us. But to be honest, many of us probably feel I'm not sure what my gift is. I'm not sure what my calling is and where my direction is. Well, as we continue this morning, I I believe Paul's going to help us understand how to lay hands upon that. How to put our hand on that, that we would know even as Paul knew. And he's writing this letter in verse 2 to the saints. Again, saints are not a bunch of dead guys. Saints are believers. Saints didn't die and have three miracles occur after their life in order that they might become a saint. He's writing to living brothers and sisters in Colossae. The, the saints is hagios. It simply means uh, separated ones who are, who are set apart to God. Believers, Christians, faithful brethren, he says, in Christ who are in Colossae. And he says his typical Pauline greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can never hear it too much. You're not going to experience the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. That's why grace always comes before peace. We want to experience grace, and then we will understand the peace that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, verse 3, Paul's heart. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. One of the keys that, that Paul experienced in being able to have unity in Christ Jesus, he learned real soon, if you pray for your brother, if you pray for your sister, God gives you love for him. When Kathy and I first began in youth ministry a lot of years ago, we were struggling with with the youth group, connecting, really getting, we felt like we were babysitters disciplining people all the time. Well, that wasn't our heart. We didn't want to have that kind of an attitude toward the kids. So every Monday night, we got together as a youth team, and we started praying for the kids. And you know what God did? He changed our hearts, and he changed their hearts. And he did a great work, but it was all founded in what? Our willingness to pray. To pray, to be thankful for, for those whom God has placed in our life, in ministry, to be thankful for what God is accomplishing with us in ministry. And so we would lift them up. If we'll pray for one another, if we'll lift up one another, if we're frustrated with leadership, if we're frustrated with a direction, God calls us to pray. Because the Lord's going to do something. He, I used to pray whenever me and Pastor Gerald didn't see eye to eye, which did occur. And we wouldn't see eye to eye in something. I would go and I would pray, God, change him or change me. And the Lord always answered the prayer. He either changed the way I was looking at it and, and revealed to me that, that, that he was right, or Pastor Gerald would change his direction and we'd be on track. But my heart was always willing to, to give itself to the Lord, to trust in God's ability and submit to his sovereignty. And as we do that... God's going to give us that unity that we experience in Christ. And so Paul is thankful for those believers at Colossae. And listen to what he says. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Do you recognize the triad? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 at the end of the verse... Or at the end of that chapter, Paul says, Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Here, he's talking about those same three things. And look what he shows us. 
First, I, I've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And how did he hear about that faith? Look, because of your love for all the saints. It was the love that flowed through them. The way that we recognize our faith in Christ growing is by our ability to love our brothers and sisters. If we're full of strife and anxiety, our, our faith is shallow. How does, our fa- how does faith come into our life? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, right? That's what the scripture teaches us. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So our faith in Christ Jesus is established, we see it, we recognize it by our love for all the saints. Our love for all, not just the ones who are easy to love, the ones who are a challenge to love. He, he wants us to experience all those things, but it comes by our faith in Christ Jesus. It's so important to be found in Christ Jesus to realize we're complete in Him. My relationship with Him equips me to love my brother. It's not always found in me. It's not always found in my flesh. In fact, it never will be. But in Christ, I have the ability to love my brother. And why? Why is love flowing through our life, through faith? Because of our hope in heaven. That we're anchored to Jesus Christ. I don't know what encourages you every day to wake up and to start your day but for me it is that hope of seeing jesus face to face and getting to hear the words well done good and faithful servant when i wake up in the morning it's not about uh how to keep score based on the size of my bank account that's a terrible way to keep score on life but for me, it's a way to, to get up in the morning and say, Lord, what is it today? Man, today I might see Jesus face to face. Today may be the day that he looks at me and says, well done, good and faithful servant. We're, none of us are guaranteed another breath. But we all are, as believers, guaranteed that we one day will be face to face with our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and what do we want to hear? I'm hoping that Jesus doesn't look at me and say, Man, I wasn't sure you were going to make it, brother. I want to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. So because my desire is, what can I do to please the Lord? What can I do to please the Lord? That enables, that comes back to my ability to love my brother. And have faith in Jesus Christ. That faith that we have is given to us by God, by the Lord. He gives us that faith. And I want to express it because I want to honor God in my actions. And then what flows out of our life is love. Romans chapter 5 says the love of God is poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. We ask the Spirit. He fills us with love. And we can then fulfill what Jesus said, right? How did he say they would know you're my disciples? By the clothes you wear on a Sunday morning? Will they know by whether or not you wear a tie or a jacket? Whether you have hair or you don't have hair? Whether you got long hair or short hair? What did he say? They'll know you are my disciples by your love one for another. That that sets us apart. And here, this is what Paul's saying, man, Epaphras told him, we have love, we're, we're walking in faith in Christ Jesus, and we're hoping for heaven. And all those things were good things, helping the church to grow. Look what else he says. Of which you heard before, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit. Now, when he says it's gone to all the world, it's a, it's a hyperbole. He's talking about all the world that he was a part of, the Roman Empire, that he was going out, that he was reaching out, that the truth was going. What is the truth? The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? John 1 tells us, doesn't it? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is God the Word, the Word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? He is truth. He is that anchor that never changes. Aren't you thankful when something doesn't change? Because, man, it's a pain to learn new rules, isn't it? When you, I, I, have, to, I have to learn some new things uh, coming to Idaho. 
I'm excited to learn. I'm looking forward to learn. I'm looking forward to learn that you don't have to go 110 miles an hour everywhere. Because California, if you're not going 110 miles an hour, somebody's going to run over you. I don't have to do that here. But it's, it's in our life, lots of things are going to fluctuate and change. But one thing will stand firm. Jesus completes you. He's everything you need. And the truth about Jesus is when we're connected to him, you and I and everyone else, we're better for our relationship with him, aren't we? We're better for the relationship that we experience with him. So this good word, the word had gone out into all the area and the church at Colossae had heard it and been established. Verse 7, as you also have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. The pastor of the church at Colossae was Epaphras. And what was Epaphras' job? To serve. The word minister somewhere in, in life got exalted. And the church I grew up in, the minister, he had his own parking place. Right by the front door. And uh, when, when I started at uh, Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel, Pastor Gerald said, the word minister means slave, and that means y'all park as far away from the front as you can get. <laughs> you serve your brother. It's all about serving. A healthy body just desires to serve one another, to to edify one another, to lift one another up, to encourage one another, to come alongside and say, man, we can do it. But we can do it together. And that's the attitude that Epaphras had. Look what he says in verse 8. Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Again, Romans 5 lays out that the love of God is poured out in our life by the Holy Spirit. So for this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. So I always love looking at Paul's prayers. You know one of the cool things about Paul's prayers? They're always short. I kind of like short prayers. I, I like that Paul says what he wants to say, and when he's done, he says amen. It's not about how long we can pray, it's just that we pray without ceasing, right? That that's always the attitude of our heart. Look what Paul prays. He says, and to ask, one, that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Isn't that a great thing to know? The knowledge of God's will? What God's will is, what God's direction is. This is how Paul prayed for the church of Colossae. That you would know, you would have a knowledge of God's will. Well, the scripture tells us how that takes place, doesn't it? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what does He promise? I will make your path straight, direct your ways. Depending on the version of the Bible you have, it all means the same thing. God will show you where to go. He'll direct you. He'll guide you. And so He says, I want you to be filled, not only with the knowledge of His will, but what else? In all wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. It's one thing to know, it's another thing to understand, right? How do I do this? What, where's my next step? What do, I, what do I go about to do this? I may know I'm supposed to do something and still not want to go, right? Still not want to lean out. So He wants them to be filled with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The proper application of the knowledge of God's will comes by the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. As the Holy Spirit anoints you, He leads you, He guides you, He opens the door and makes your path straight. And this is how Paul prays. He goes on to say that you would walk worthy of the Lord. That phrase, walk worthy, you're probably familiar of it because in the book of Ephesians, Paul also says that we would walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. What's it mean? To have equal weight with. If you were to take a scale and put your calling or what Jesus Christ has done for you on one side, on the other side, your walk, that they would be of equal weight. 
that the way we conduct ourselves day to day is of equal weight with the incredible sacrifice that Jesus Christ gave for us, that we walk worthy. So when we consider our day, we wake up in the morning and we can say, man, what a wonderful day the Lord has made for us today. But I will rejoice and be glad in it. We, we get excited about what it is that God has for us that day. Lord, show me. Guide me. Lead me. That I might walk worthy of the Lord. I want to look like I belong to you. I want to walk like I belong to you. I want to drive like I belong to you. That's hard. It gets even harder when I say I want to ride like I belong to you. In a couple of weeks, I'm riding the bike up here. And, and that's a whole nother big old ape hangers. Man, I, I like that. But as I ride it, I want to make sure that I'm riding for Christ. Let me tell you guys, my, I have a Harley that, that's coming up. It's a soft tail. I know that doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's okay. But has you guys seen those big old ape hangers, bars way high? Yeah, these are higher than that. And I'm going to ride it home. And when I got the bike, the Lord blessed me that, that we were able to get it. it. It was totally a God thing. But all over the bike are skulls. Now, what is a good pastor doing with a bike with skulls all over the bike? There are skulls everywhere. If I started taking skulls off that bike, I might not finish in a year. All the skulls that are on that bike. And so I was looking at it and I was praying over it. Lord, I don't know how this is going to work. In fact, one of the kids at the school, when I pulled up to the church, he was telling his mom as he was walking to the, to the car, he said, Mom, I thought Pastor Jackie was a Christian. <laughs> I don't want to cause a brother to, to stumble. A friend of mine came alongside and he, he made this carving that goes on the back of the seat. And on the back of the seat of the bike, it has the, a scene of Golgotha. And I want to tell you how many times God has given me an opportunity when a brother comes up, someone comes up and looks at the bike and says, man, I like all those skulls. And I say, you know, let me tell you where the skull came from. Because my Savior, Jesus Christ, was crucified at the place called the skull. He gave his life for me. And so the skull is a symbol of everlasting life for me. I see that this is where my God died for me. I can't tell you how many doors the Lord has opened up to be able to share those things with people. To use what, what the world means to, to, to make evil and turn it around and use it for something that brings glory and honor to God. And to, and to glorify Him. Well, listen, when He says that we would walk worthy, fully pleasing Him, that we would fully please Him with every aspect of our life. If I can't please God with this, then i got no business with it. If it's not about bringing people to Jesus Christ, if it's not about using it to glorify Him, then, then why am I in it? When I coach football, was all about Jesus Christ. Every practice ended with a prayer. Every practice started with devotion. Everything we did, every, at the end of every game, we gave it. Win, lose, draw. We gave it to the Lord. Because the purpose was to be fully pleasing to Him. But whatever I have, whatever is mine, is not mine. It belongs to the Lord. And we want to use it for the Lord to glorify the Lord. So that we would walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That we would not only walk to please the Lord, but be fruitful. That we would increase. That we would increase in the knowledge of God. That we would grow. How are we going to increase in the knowledge of God? We're going to come together as a body and we're going to study God's Word. We're going to open it up. We're going to look at it. We're going to say, Lord, speak to me today. Show me what you have for me today. Guide me according to your word that I may grow in the knowledge of God. That I may grow in my understanding with him. In verse 11, continuing to pray, being strengthened, strength, what is that? Being strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Hey folks, how do we accomplish anything? Is it just by, by strength of arm and, and our willingness to just put ourselves out there? 
Because Paul would write to the Galatians and say, Oh foolish Galatians, did you think what could be begun in the Spirit could be completed in the flesh? Can we complete something just by our willingness, our desire? No, it comes by His strength, doesn't it? Not by might nor by power, by what? But by my Spirit, says the Lord. We had, it's through His Spirit, His anointing, His strengthening. We submit ourselves to Him. Lord, I'm willing... And then God does the work. A lot of years ago, I was just a kid in Bible college. I was scared to death of people. And I remember in Bible college class, they asked me to, to stand up and, and share a, a devotion. Man, I was petrified. I remember standing, and there was like 10 people in the class. I remember standing up and seriously felt like my knees were hitting each other. I was so scared. So as I get up to go up there to teach, as, I, as I'm going to share the devotion, he also says, hey, don't you play guitar? Why don't you do a couple worship songs too? Oh, man. I played for my kids. I never played guitar in front of people. It was, it was so frightening and so scared. I was so afraid. But when you are willing to take that, you're willing to take the step and say, Lord, I'm just going to present myself to you. And what it is going to be is, is something anointed by your spirit. Not me, not what I can do, not what I bring. Father, I just want to be a hose that delivers the pure water of God's word without it tasting like rubber. I want it to taste like Jesus, not like me. I want it to be about him. And so we step forward in willingness, and the next thing you know, God shows up. And God blesses people. Why? Because we were willing, but not to do it in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, submitting ourselves to Him as He guides and leads. And then He says, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering. Now, every time I read patience and long-suffering, I used to say, that's kind of redundant. Isn't patience and long-suffering the same thing? Well, I took a look at the Greek. Here's what I discovered. Patience deals with endurance in circumstance. Long-suffering deals with endurance with people. Patience in our circumstances. Long-suffering with people. That we would be long-suffering with our brother and sister and patience, enduring in our circumstances. But not just enduring. What do we got to do? With joy. We got to do it with joy. It doesn't say with happiness. Folks, there's a difference. Happiness is all about where we're at. You know, if we're happy one day, the next day we could be down. Joy is a choice. Joy says, I'm going to make a choice. And that choice is submitting to Jesus Christ, being found in Christ Jesus, completed by Him. Completed by that relationship with Him. And when it becomes joy, the acronym is Jesus, others, yourself. You want to have joy? Think about Jesus being bound in Him. Then look at others first, and then yourself. When we, we did the, the football team, we had a thing that we print on the back of everybody's shirt said, God first, team second, I am third. It's a Gail Sayers book. If you ever read it, Gail Sayers was, was a believer. His saying was, God first, family second, I am third. It's a secret to joy. We want to experience joy in our circumstances. Jesus, others, then me. Jesus, others, and then me. And I can endure with joy. I can, I can say, man, I'm here by the grace of God. By the grace of God, I'm standing in this place. By the grace of God, I, I, I'm prepared to be all that God has for me to be. So we trust that God's going to do that perfect work in us. He goes on to tell us now, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. God qualifies us. Isn't that good news? Folks, do you realize... That our salvation wasn't predicated on some ability of ours. But we were qualified by the Father simply by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We put our faith, our trust, we believe, and God qualified us. 
He qualified us. He prepares us for the work. He does the work within us. He accomplishes that within us. All we have to do is that one part. For I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able to keep me. If my salvation didn't depend on me, guess what? Keeping my salvation won't either. What it depends on is Jesus Christ and God's work. So what's my job? To be in Christ. To be in Christ. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you, right? As the branch can do nothing unless it abides in the vine, so you too can do nothing if you are not abiding in me. We want to abide in Christ. Be be that part in Christ. God has qualified us to experience the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us to the kingdom of the Son of His light. He took us from a place where we're lost and we don't know what direction we're going and we don't know what to do in life and we're not satisfied and we're not transformed and we're not united. And he said, now, in a relationship with me, you can experience transformation. You can experience being unified. You can experience satisfaction. All those things found in a relationship in Christ Jesus. So he moves us from the dark and he puts us in the light. In Ephesians, he said, for you were once darkness, not just in darkness, you were once darkness, but now he has conveyed you lock, stock and barrel from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his light. All these things that we have in Christ, why would we want to be found anywhere else? All of these blessings that we experience in Christ Jesus it's so, it's so important that we see when someone comes to us and says, well, you don't really need, G- you need Jesus and this or and that or this thing or that thing or this Jesus or that Jesus. No, all we need is the truth that is solid as a rock, every day the same, unchanging that we see in his word as he delivers it to us here. In whom, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Redemption as that idea of being twice bought. The story is there's a young man who built a, a model boat and he took his model boat down to the river and he was floating it around in the river and as he was playing with it there in the river and it got out into the faster current, went down the river and there went his boat. Oh, he was bummed. And the next day he was walking around in town and he looked in the window of a toy store and there was his boat up on a shelf. I'm sure that's my boat. So he goes and gets his dad, and they come back to the toy store, and he looks and says, Mister, that's my boat up there on your your shelf. And the guy in the toy store says, Well, I don't know whether that's your boat or not. All I know is a fisherman found it in a river, and he brought it here. And if you want it, all you have to do is buy it. So a little boy looked down into his piggy bank, dumped it out on the counter, paid whatever it was that the owner of the toy store wanted, and he grabbed that boat and he held it close and he walked it out of the toy store and he could be heard to say, now you're twice mine, for I built you and I bought you. Isn't that what Jesus Christ has done for us? We are redeemed. We are redeemed in Christ. Everything we need to complete us is in Christ. We're redeemed in Him. And you have the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, as he's talking about, is, is uh, a thesis. A thesis, this is what the idea is for forgiveness. To send away. What is it that, that the psalmist wrote as far as the east is from the west? You guys heard that song by uh, Casting Crowns, as far as the east is from the west? What they say? From one scarred hand to the other. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord used east to west? Because you know you can go east forever and never end up going west. You can go west forever and never end up going east. If he'd have said north and south, they meet, don't they? Because you get to the top of the world, you start coming south. But east and west, they never touch. The concept of forgiveness is our sins are cast away. They're gone. As far as the east is from the west. And we are twice bought by our loving Savior. And then in verse 15, 
He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Man, these verses are so vital, so important. We probably not, won't get too much further, but I want you to get the concept of what he's talking about here. Because it's some of the next few verses are some of the most strong verses declaring that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. He is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word is the icon. Not only does it mean he is the exact image, but it also means he is the exact and complete manifestation. He's not just a picture. He is God of very God. He is the expressed image of the invisible God. And folks, the concept of the invisible God is not only the God that can't be seen, but a God that can't be known. How can we know an invisible God? Well, the Gospel of John tells us, doesn't it? When Moses came to the Lord at the burning bush and and the great I Am said to him, Go to my people. You're the deliverer that I'm sending back to my people. Moses said, well, who shall I say has sent me? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. I am what? I am everything you need, the becoming one. I am everything you need. And then the Bible tells in John chapter 1, doesn't it? That the word was God and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. John also goes on to tell us, no one has seen God at any time, but what? The only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ, He has revealed God to us. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know God, you know God through Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the light, who did He say that to? A man that was blind? When Jesus said, you must be born again, who did he say that to? An old man, late in his years? When Jesus would then come to Mary and Martha at the deepest time of their loss, they lost their brother Lazarus, what did Jesus say to them? I am the resurrection and the life. What is Jesus declaring to the people? I am everything you need. I am God of very God, come to reveal myself to you so that the unknowable God can be known in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he's declaring to us right here the image, the exact representation and manifestation of the very God. That he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Now, Folks want to get tripped up over the word firstborn. But all we have to do is allow the Bible to define the Bible, don't we? We don't have to pay attention to what anybody says about anything else. The Bible says Jacob was firstborn. But who was the first one born? Esau. So what does this phrase firstborn mean? It's the word protokos. It means first in rank and order. First in priority. When he's speaking of Jesus Christ as that express image of the invisible God, where the unknowable God is knowable in Christ Jesus, he's also then saying he is the most important thing in life. He is the most important person. He is priority number one. He is the firstborn of all creation. Do you know that the ancient rabbis called God, firstborn of all creation? They would say that He is the firstborn of all creation. And here, that title is being given to who? Jesus Christ. The firstborn over all creation. The protocos, the preeminent one. He is the most important thing. I, I used to have folks that would come to my door. Now, they don't come to my door. When we move to Idaho, they might come to my door again. In Yucca Valley, they don't come to my house anymore, but they used to come to my house. And in the early days when I was in Bible college, I would sit down and they would come in and, and they'd open up their books and we would talk. We would argue about all the different 
things that they believed. And in the beginning, I would get on this merry-go-round with them and talk about all these different things. And then I'd come back to my professor at, at Bible college and I would talk about how frustrated I was because I gave them an answer for everything, but they still didn't come around to my way of seeing things. And he told me that the, the wisest thing anyone has ever told me in dealing with, with something or, or talking to someone who's coming from a, a cult where they have a misrepresentation of Jesus Christ, he said, there's only one thing that you need to talk to them about. Who is Jesus? That's it. There's no point in talking about anything else. Who is Jesus? Because the Word of God says right here, he's God of very God. doesn't say he's Michael the archangel. doesn't say he's a brother of Lucifer. Doesn't say he's Adam. It says that he is God of very God, the creator of all things, the one that holds everything together, that he is everything, the most important thing in life. That's who Jesus is, and that's where we start. We don't go to part two until we get part one handled. Jesus, who is he? Who did he say he was? He says right here, Paul lays out for us, he's God of very God. Look, verse 16, for by him... All things were created that are in heaven and are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So who is creator God? Jesus Christ. Who is the God of Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's Jesus Christ. You, it doesn't matter any way you slice it. He created all things, not all other things. He created all things. All means all. He created everything. And everything was created for Him and by Him. It came through Him. And the final verse we'll take a look at this morning. Not only is He the Creator God, not only did He create all things and all things have their meaning in Him, but He is before all things, eternal he is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Everything is held together, literally, by Jesus Christ. About this time, we can start talking about the atom and the electrons and the protons and that they're positively charged and what holds the atom together, but that's not really the point. The point is, listen, everything in your life, in my life, is held together by Jesus Christ. We want to find our place in this world. We want to know our gifts. We want to know our calling. We want to know who we are in Christ Jesus. It's all found in Him because He holds it all together. You ever feel like your life is coming apart? Been a time or two in my life I felt that way. Life is coming apart. It's all unraveling. Well, it's held together by Jesus Christ. And we want Jesus Christ in His rightful place in our life. He binds it all together. The God of the universe, who created all things, who is the expressed image of the invisible God and the exact manifestation, Paul's going to go on and tell us the fullness of God is permanently in Christ Jesus. There's no way to get around the fact that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. Folks, in Him, your whole life consists. In Christ, your whole life is held together. In Christ, the truth, the truth is, in Christ, you have everything that you need. For the God of the universe is at home with you. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. If you're able, tonight we're going to finish off chapter 1. As we uh, come back uh, at 6 o'clock, we invite you to come. If you'd like to hear the rest of chapter 1. But we want to go from this place holding on. Jesus Christ, He's going to make sense of everything in our life. Everything. Everything we experience makes sense in Him. Everything we have makes sense in Him. Apart from Him, nothing makes sense. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank You so much for this opportunity that we have to come before You. 
Father, we thank you that we have a, a, an opportunity, Lord God, to just come before the creator of the universe. To know, God, that you loved us so much that you became a child. That you walked in my shoes. That you can relate to me. That the unknowable God before is knowable in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we can see you, that we can know you, that we can see what you want for our lives, God, because you declare it in the truth of your word. Father, this, this morning as we just consider all that you have given us, that we are chosen, that we are adopted, that we are elect. Father, that we have been redeemed, that we have been forgiven. God, that you love us no matter what. Wow, Lord, when we consider all those things, Father, truly it is a desire of our heart that we would walk worthy. Not walk earning, just walk worthy. Equal weight. Father, that our heart would be to please you, to honor you, in the things that we do with our life, that you would become a part of everything, not just that, that person we worship on, on Sunday morning, not just something we do at the end of the week or the beginning of the week, Father, but rather that you would be the one that holds together everything in our life. Because you were before all things. You are the most important thing that we will ever have as a part of our life. Lord God, Father, as we just seek your blessing and anointing this morning, Lord, we turn our heart toward you. And we ask, God, that you would move in a mighty way among us here this morning. Father, that we would just come to a place, Lord Jesus, if we haven't had you in that first place, the number one priority. Today's a good day, Father, to to repent, to change our direction, to put you where you ought to be in our life. Because, Father God, you complete us. You complete us in Jesus Christ, your Son. And Lord, as we just set aside a little bit of quiet time, Father, in worship and a prayerful heart, Father, we ask that your Spirit would do His perfect work among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.